0: Good evening and welcome to City Watch, a watchdog program for social, economic, political, and cultural issues here in New York City. I'm your host, David Brand, broadcasting live from Ridgewood, Queens. Engineer Max Schmid is in the WBAI studio, and my co-host, Jeff Simmons, is holding it down in WBAI's Jackson Heights Annex. This is an uncertain and frankly scary time as we adjust to life with COVID-19 and try to protect ourselves, our loved ones, and our neighbors. So we thank you for tuning in. For the foreseeable future, we will be broadcasting City Watch remotely, but that won't stop us from putting together a great show every week. Today, we have a powerhouse lineup of guests, starting with New York City Schools Chancellor Richard Carranza, who will discuss what students and families can expect as school goes online. After Carranza, we will have Acting Queensborough President Sharon Lee, whose temporary tenure as Queens County Executive just got a little longer. We will discuss her role, address the racism related to the COVID-19 emergency, and describe key resources for families. And finally, in our second half of the show, we'll have New York City's First Lady, Shirlane McRae. But first, our own Celeste Katz-Marston will deliver a breaking news update.
1: You're listening to WBAI New York. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. Here's the news. New York has become the epicenter of the coronavirus pandemic. Of more than 31,000 cases of COVID-19 identified in the United States, according to Johns Hopkins University, nearly 16,000 were confirmed in New York State as of Sunday, including 114 deaths. At a City Hall news briefing Sunday, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio described the ramp-up of cases in the five boroughs.
2: We represent, um, shockingly, about a third of the cases in the entire United States of America, and about two-thirds of the cases in the state of New York, or even more. We'll constantly keep you updated, but I want people to just for a moment reflect on that fact. This is a crisis affecting our whole state, our whole nation, but it's a crisis affecting New York City uh, far more than any place else, just by the numbers, one-third of the cases in the entire nation right here. We have lost 63 people to coronavirus in just a matter of weeks.
1: Both de Blasio and New York Governor Andrew Cuomo have sought to allay public fears about the spread of COVID-19, even as they pressed the federal government to do more. Starting Sunday night, the state has ordered all non-essential workers in New York to stay home. Speaking to reporters at the state capitol in Albany Sunday, the governor also expressed deep frustration about New Yorkers gathering in public places like parks in defiance of directives to practice social distancing to limit the potential spread of the virus.
3: We talk about social distancing, I was in these parks, you would not not know that anything was going on. This is just a mistake. It's a mistake. It's insensitive, it's arrogant, it's self-destructive, it's disrespectful to other people, and it has to stop and it has to stop now. This is not a joke.
1: And I am not kidding. Cuomo also said the Army Corps of Engineers is building four temporary hospital sites to handle coronavirus patients. These locations include the Jacob Javits Center in Manhattan, the Westchester Convention Center, SUNY Stony Brook, and SUNY Old Westbury. For coronavirus updates from the New York City Department of Emergency Management, text COVID, C-O-V-I-D, to 692-692. For WBAI New York, I'm Celeste Katz-Marston. Now, back to CityWatch with your hosts, David Brand and Jeff Simmons.
0: Thank you, Celeste. Last week, Mayor Mayor Bill de Blasio made the decision to close New York City public schools to stem the spread of the coronavirus. It was obviously a difficult decision. There are roughly 1.1 million students in New York City public schools, and a huge proportion come from low-income families. More than 110,000 students experienced homelessness at some point last year. For many students, school is an anchor, a lone source of stability for children experiencing poverty and homelessness, family upheaval, and even abuse and neglect. Schools also enable parents and guardians to go to work, vitally important for families living paycheck to paycheck. But these are unprecedented times and stopping the spread of the illness meant closing the schools. Every public school has shifted to remote learning, a transition that begins tomorrow. I spoke with Schools Chancellor Richard Carranza about what students and families can expect. Here's that interview. Chancellor Carranza, welcome to City Watch. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, David. Thanks for the opportunity. Tell us exactly what students and families can expect tomorrow. Are classes live-streamed? Are they interactive? Or are students assigned work to complete and turn in?
3: Yeah, so um, let me just give you a little bit of context, and I'm happy to describe that. So what we're about to do tomorrow in New York City is akin to taking the entire school system of Los Angeles, the entire school system of Chicago, and add in Boston and convert them all to a different way of teaching and learning. That's what we're about to do tomorrow. So there are two things that we want families and students and everybody to keep in mind. Number one is flexibility, and number two is patience, because we're literally building this plan of we're flying it. But what students and families should expect tomorrow is the ability for students to stay connected to their teachers, stay connected to learning, have some structured learning opportunities, just uh, to explore different ways of learning, uh, and be guided by the teachers and others in the school so that they're connected. Uh, what we've done is we've curated, curated uh, a whole portfolio of different uh, with third-party uh, partners, different learning experiences, different uh, assignment experiences, so that a student could expect that they will log into their legal classroom where their teacher will either be present or will have left, some assignments, some link to some uh, learning experiences, uh, and then students can engage with that. Now, look could that look like the sky limit. It could be if students are doing uh, some kind of a science uh, unit that there will be a link that will take them to a discovery education a site where they will do a virtual tour of a, of a habitat, and then students will be asked questions based on that virtual tour. They could go into... A site that takes them on a trip to a foreign country where they're looking at specific things. It could be a site where they go and they read a piece of literature, and then they go and they actually explore the the location geographically where that literature is based. It mm. sky's a limit. So will they will they actually
0: be will they actually be watching in any of these uh, options watching their teachers like lecture on video conference? They could. That's a possibility, but not necessarily. Hmm. And I think the other thing to remember is that this
3: is going to look different than every school, because schools are a different thinking. You know, one of the things that we found out is that there are many schools in New York City that are really far down the road on virtual learning, distance learning, blended learning, remote learning. Uh, So And then we have some schools that have never, ever done this. So... Hmm. Because schools are in different places, it's going to look different in different places. But we want to be sure that students have the support and parents have the support they need. And teachers have the resources to be able to craft lessons uh, over the course of the next few weeks or three months.
0: So it sounds like we're going to have to rethink what school looks like. And so will there be lunch breaks? Will there be rotating classes with different teachers? And if so, how would students know to come back from lunch or to go to their next class? Or is that... Is that not going to be something that students will be dealing with? I am so glad you asked that
3: question because this is this is when I took flexibility and, and patients. This will not look like a regular school day. Hmm. You won't start at a certain time, you won't end at the same time, you won't have lunch. We are not in a regular situation. Hmm. So it's gonna be flexible and teachers will set up times where they can check in with their students. Uh, and, we, and we know that we have students that if their parents are still, are, you know, for example, they're essential workers and they're out there serving the community that, you know, some older students are going to be taking care of their younger siblings or taking care of the neighbor's siblings. Mm. So we want to have that to go. So you won't have that lunch at a certain time and a break at a certain time, which you will have. It's going to look different in every school, but you're going to have an individualized kind of a schedule with uh, every single school Teachers a set up times that they're available to and be online with kids, giving them feedback, it's been a, it, and it's going to look different. And one of the things that I've been preaching out there to everyone is this isn't a time for the regimented schedule, because we're not in the regular, school, hour, business. This is really going to be a time to rethink the way we teach, but rethink the way kids learn. And I, I think this is actually... You know, I have a motto, people that have three House are and say, never waste a crisis, because this is going to give us an opportunity to really move into the 21st century in terms of learning and teaching. Yeah, this and it's also going to give us an opportunity to eliminate the digital divide, you know, with kids having
0: devices. Mm. So I was going to, I wanted to ask you about that. The city is distributing tens of thousands of web-enabled devices, iPads, to students in need, and they're prioritizing kids who live in public housing, come from low-income families, or are homeless. Chalkbeat recently reported that thousands of students still need devices. When will they be ready for school, and when will they get those devices that they need?
3: So they're starting rolling already. So Monday we'll be distributing devices. Uh, every school has been asked uh, folks to do a survey. Uh, and In fact, I'm going to take advantage right now to give you the website uh, for any, uh, anybody that has not yet done that survey. It's at www.coronavirus.school.nyc backslash Remote learning devices. And do, you, you
0: you you re- do
3: you want to? you want to repeat? That, could you? Re- could you repeat that? Sure. www dot remote learning devices. And if you go onto that website, you can make sure that you're counted in the technology survey. That's translated in all nine languages. Uh, and. We want to make sure that we know that you need a device, and we want to make sure the schools know that you need a device. And like I said, the first 25,000 of those web-enabled devices, Wi-Fi-enabled devices, are distributed starting Monday, and then they're rolling in over the next few weeks.
0: If families don't have access to the Internet, but they want to uh, make it known that they need the devices, how can they do that without going online? Is there a paper form, or can they call the school? So
3: there's a phone number, and here's a phone number, 718- Nine three five five one zero zero, 935 5100 and then you just hit 5 once, once you, you get connected, just dial 5. Do you that want will
0: to take to you to the telephone service? 718-935-5100, and then once connected, dial 5. 718-935-5100, and then hit
3: 5. Yes, sir. Great. Now... The the critical component here is that parents and families stay connected to their schools because schools will have uh, their distribution, uh, obviously, um, connected to their school community and how many devices they need to distribute. It's also important to know that, you know, schools have technology, and typically we have computer cards that stay in the school. We have devices that stay in the school. Schools have been assigning those to students. Uh, on the prioritization list that you mentioned already. So they are people already taking home mm. the materials and the Google Classroom is accessible in the cloud, so that means that even somebody that has a smartphone can start accessing these, these uh, materials. Of course it's not ideal, mm. but they can start accessing these materials. And then for the next uh, three to four weeks we have paper and pencil uh, packets that are available for students as well, and they can pick those up uh, either at a school or we can pick them up at one of the sites that we have, one of the hub sites where we'll be, we'll be feeding next, the community to open the over the length of this, uh,
0: of this crisis. How, how will schools adhere to individual education plans for students in special education or, this, or with special needs, especially when those plans stipulate group counseling or one-on-one sessions with a social worker or counselor?
3: Yeah, so obviously there are certain things because of the social distancing that we just can't do. Mm. So it's going to mean that we have to alter those plans and have uh, an alternative approach. So this past week, uh, we've already started reaching out to all students with IEPs, Individual Education Plan, and working with families to identify what is going to be the method that we're going to be able to provide the services to students with disabilities. Now, it's going to look different, and it may not be ideal, but we want to make sure that we're we are meeting the need to, to the best of our ability under the circumstances uh, for our students. Some of it's going to be easier than others. So, for example, if we have a student that has um, a, a verbal a verbal disability and they need and they need to to have verbal um, intervention, uh, speech therapy, you can do speech therapy uh, virtually. Um, mm. Even some some forms of occupational therapy, you can do virtually, uh, but. Physical therapy is much more difficult to do virtually. So you literally need somebody helping you physically. Mm-hmm. Now, social distancing protocols and you know, whatever the emergency, that, that impacts the ability of people to come together to do that. So, we're trying to kind of work through that as we get more and more direction from the governor and from the mayor. Um, but the, so, again, when I say flexibility is the word uh, going forward, that, that's the new example of ability everybody to have. We're going to do the best we can as we're building the plane as we're flying it, um, and some things we're going to be able to do, some things we're just not going to be able to do, but we want to do to the best of our ability so our students can
0: overcome it. I'm a I'm a licensed social worker, and I worked as a counselor in a school in Canarsie, and so something I'm really interested in. How, how will schools be... Uh, Making sure students are meeting with social workers or meeting with counselors, either for group sessions or one-on-one sessions. Will there be like teleconferencing for that?
3: Yeah, and, and again, schools are building that out as well, um, and it's going to look different. You know, what's interesting though is that you know just uh, just yesterday I had a conversation with some of my colleagues that had, they were sharing with me that as they're having these conversations with uh, with uh, with communities about that very topic about group counseling or group session, there are some parents that say, hey, listen, you know, I don't want my child uh, on a video group uh, conference with anybody because, mm. you know, this is private Who mm. knows who's reporting? So, I mean, I have never even thought about that. Yeah. And I have thought, we want to continue to have these sessions, but then parents say, well, no, no, I don't want my child. So, again, that's another example of how we're going to have to be flexible and and, and and try to meet the needs of our students and our parents, while um, still, you know, honoring confidentiality, honoring the wishes of parents. This is a new day, and it's and it's nothing like what we've ever seen before. So I'm going to continue to emphasize flexibility and patience mm-hmm. as we kind of work through these these, uh, these wishes.
0: Um, we, have, we have a few more moments. Uh, I want to ask you a couple more questions. Schools are the front lines for recognizing serious problems at home. How will school staff identify children in trouble or facing neglect under this new format?
3: Yeah, obviously much more difficult. Um, but again, uh, I have tremendous faith in our teachers or our school staff, our psychologists, psychiat- uh, social workers, uh, guidance counselors, and they're going to be attuned. Um, part of the, the guidance that we wish you to everyone is that there are some signs that you should look for as you're interacting with your students. And again, with... What we don't want to do is, is, is conflate a student that is busy taking care of siblings and, and others and not logging in as often as other students. We don't want to conflate that with the uh, you know, times of being deprived of the opportunity to engage in that legal activity. So it's going to be much more difficult. But again, I think, uh, and I'm really, I'm really proud of the fact that my colleagues are still a key to making sure our kids are okay. Are they responding and how are they responding? What are they writing about? What are they saying in the responses? Are there any signs that they're in trouble? And if there are, how do we connect them then with uh, the appropriate authorities to make sure that uh, they're, they're safe and secure? Uh, again, I'm not going to make it a panacea. It's going to be much more difficult. But, uh, again, the intent and the focus on making sure that we're paying attention is what's going to allow us to have a place on it.
0: How, how will we know if this is working?
3: That's a good question. I mean, I think, you know, the, the options are, are pretty stark. Either we just say, hey, we're out of class, and, you know, everybody just hunker down, and we'll see you whenever it's over, and tend for yourself. Or we keep on working to keep kids connected, keep teachers connected, keep learning, uh, keep the learning slides from happening, and we keep moving forward. I, you know, I think even that is a good sign that it's working. Uh, if we have kids that are able to connect, if kids that are able to continue to do some very uh, powerful learning in different ways, uh, flex muscles, academic muscles, that have flex. Yeah. And for my colleagues in the classroom, be able to teach in a very different way without the fear of, well, wow, how is this going to impact my evaluation? No, mm-hmm. they are not even thinking about those things. This mm-hmm. is about be flexible, be creative, be innovative, try new things, be just leave it on the field, hmm. uh, then I think we can actually get to a place that perhaps we haven't even, we haven't even thought about yet. Um, so that's, for me, we're already winning because we're, we're connecting with kids and we're, we're, stay, we're staying the course with our folks.
0: So I guess we can expect this to evolve over time, and this is just the first week. But where, where can families get reliable, updated information about uh, what the school days look like, where they can get devices, where they can uh, find out the best information.
3: So number one, stay connected with your school. Uh, I know that schools have uh, a way of, of, of staying in touch with their school communities, whatever that is. Principals and teachers are still working, and they will continue to provide information to stay connected to your school. The, the, the secondarily, though, and always good, is our website, the Department of Education's website, and that's... Uh, www.schools.nyc.gov. So again, www.school.nyc.gov. As soon as you log on, there's a landing page that has a bunch of tabs, learning at home, uh, updates on coronavirus, every day that we send out updated guidance, it's all listed. It goes all the way back to the first ones that we've listed. So it's going to be a good way for people to know what's happened uh, with, with uh, the coronavirus and how it affects schools. Also, they can follow uh, NYC Schools on Twitter, mm. uh, and then they can follow me, DOE Chancellor, on Twitter, and we're we're pumping out information as soon as we get it to go well.
0: Well, Chancellor Richard Carranza, thank you for taking time to talk with City Watch. This is an unprecedented situation, um, so we really thank you for coming on the show. Thanks
3: for the opportunity. Stay safe out there.
0: You too. Thank you very much. That was Schools Chancellor Richard Carranza talking with WBAI by phone a day before all of New York City's public schools shift to online and remote learning. Shifting topics for a second... There's been controversy following a recent announcement by Mayor Bill de Blasio about the release of 23 older adults from New York City jails. The Release Aging People in Prison campaign and Parole Preparation Project just released the following statement in response to that announcement. Um, The mayor, and this is the statement, quote, the mayor, governor, and other local and state officials must take far more meaningful action to release this vulnerable population back to their families and home communities before it's too late. You are listening to WBAI 99.5 FM City Watch, streaming live at WBAI.org. I'm your host, David Brand. Earlier this week, my co-host, Jeff Simmons, talked with acting Queensboro President Sharon Lee. Lee, the former deputy borough president, replaced Melinda Katz after Katz took office as Queens District Attorney on January 1st. Lee's tenure was set to end this Tuesday, But a special election for Queensborough president, one that we've discussed on this show a couple times, was canceled. Um, It has not been rescheduled. So we're still waiting a date on that. But obviously, there's a lot going on right now. We're fortunate to have Sharon Lee on the show. Here's Jeff's interview.
2: BOROUGH PRESIDENT, thank you for joining us here on WBAI. So you've been acting borough president since January 1st, when your predecessor began her work as Queens Queensborough And at a time when our borough and our country are now facing unprecedented challenges, how are you holding up?
4: I'm holding up as well as can be. Uh, There's been a lot of work, um, but I made a commitment, and I fully intend to keep that commitment, which is to serve and represent the people of Queens to the best of my ability and for as long as necessary.
5: And how has
2: the borough been adjusting to this? Because, you know, I'm a Queens resident. I see what's going on on a daily basis. There is a lot of concern and fear, but I also see a lot of people out there exercising and walking around, keeping their distance from each other. What's been some of the things that you've seen and heard?
4: Well, we've been hearing a lot of fear uh, and concern, Um, and so a lot of the message that we're getting out there is that it's important to stay calm, and it's important to to stay nimble. Uh, Flexibility is really the name of the game right now, and if uh, folks haven't already uh, we are urging everyone, everyone's probably heard the governor's um, uh, order uh, that everyone to stay at home uh, or to, to it's, it's safest at home, um, also known as the San Francisco model, uh, if you are not an essential worker. Uh, we're talking about uh, certainly on a countywide level, you know, we're trying to keep people away from the hospitals people away from the doctors offices people away from urgent care any uh, any areas that we anticipate um an exponential uh rise that we are already experiencing um but also are, is going to be continuing for a number of uh, at least for a number of weeks um and very likely uh well into the next couple of months um and so my office has been working uh around the clock Uh, to activate some mobile health units. We're trying to get that up and running. We're also, we're also seeing some concerns about the sustainability of, uh, supplies, um, namely kind of the immediate, uh, our food, uh, is food. And so we are planning for and working with various partners, um, to coordinate food drops, uh, with community partners and organizations that already have the infrastructure, um, in terms of getting materials into homes as opposed to creating situations where, you know, there are long lines that I saw uh, around pantries, I'm seeing lines at hospitals, and that's something that we're trying to uh, avoid, Um, I think it's a little bit too late to prevent, but certainly to avoid um, and also to help mitigate, and a lot of that means you have to think more creatively about getting supplies, getting services uh, to people in different ways.
2: And how has this impacted your office and how your office operates?
4: My office is continuing to operate. Oh, we are open. The vast majority, um, the vast majority of my staff uh, are working remotely. Uh, I activated that a week ago, so last weekend, uh, activated the telework policy. Uh, this past week, um, beginning March seventeenth, we required all. So-called non-essential, and by essential, I mean non-essential. I mean folks who, you know, we have a couple of folks who need to be in the office, right? I don't want it to be completely abandoned. We are, after all, located at Queensborough Hall, um, and so we have a sort of a skeletal physical crew um, there at uh, at my office. Um, but the vast majority of operations and services are continuing, um, continuing re- remotely.
2: And you were, you were out there very early urging the mayor to – or urging parents to keep their kids home from school before the mayor went ahead and shut down the schools. How, have you, how would you describe the way that the mayoral administration has handled this crisis?
4: I will say, Jeff, that I think the mayor and the governor and their teams uh, have an unenviable job. Um, and I think certainly also uh, first responders, frontline workers, essential workers, all have very unenviable jobs, especially in a moment like this, um, where, there's, where there's a lot of concern about your own health, um, but also trying to stay ahead of the curve. You know, we here in New York, we, the advantage that we have, in a sense, is that we can see the trajectory, uh, we've known the trajectory for at least a couple of weeks now, um, whether it be from all around the globe, you know, parts of Asia are about two, three, four months ahead of us. Uh, parts of Europe are about two, maybe one or two months ahead of us. Um, other parts of the country, uh, across the country on the West Coast, they're, they're probably a couple of weeks ahead of us. At this rate, we've kind of caught up um, because the the, the the rise in the uh, in uh, the pace or the rate, um, uh, the development of this, of this virus um, and the and the pandemic, and so we can see what 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 works and what doesn't work, and we have that advantage in the sense for ourselves in protecting ourselves. And really, time is time is just a luxury that we cannot afford. We're working against time, um, and so and we are racing. We've been racing against time. An option that is available to us today may not be available to us tomorrow, right? And so part of the call that we've seen in the, in the past week, uh, some of the concerns about uh, supply, um, PPEs or personal protective equipment, things like masks and gloves and protective gowns. Um, and so there's been a, a wide call and an urge uh, in the past couple of days, and I believe it's been activated for uh, the president of the United States to activate the uh, the defense the defense production act, um, because there's a global supply run uh, that that is uh, that, that that is vulnerable uh, that has been strained significantly, um, and some of those sources are not uh, as as reliable or as fully supplied in terms of what we are projecting over the next uh weeks and months um and so uh, i know that on a city-wide and a statewide level there's been discussions about activating um activating more of the production very locally uh, because it is a race against time and if we want to be prepared for what we will need two weeks from now two months from now we need to start and act now
2: so we talked about the mayor and the governor you just touched on the president how would you characterize the way the presidential administration that has handled this, but also some of the words we've been hearing coming out of the White House particularly from the president himself?
4: I think words matter. I think words critically matter, certainly in crises. You know, the the rule of crisis management is communication, and whether that's the accuracy, the precision, um, words matter. Uh, even in, you know, one example is um, the difference between shelter in place or stay at home. People have different uh, people. Different people interpret different things with certain words. And words can provoke, whether it be panic. Uh, words can inflame, whether it be racism and xenophobia. Uh, so words definitely matter. Um, speaking of the president of the United States, uh, you know, he's been rather. Um, he's used the term uh, "there's a misnomer," uh, uh, the Ch- a Chinese virus, and I think that's a deeply consequential misnomer, right? It's it's really COVID nineteen um, is the actual disease um, that results in a coronavirus, uh, and the current coronavirus that we are uh, seeing uh, spreading uh, in the various strains of that virus spreading around the um, around the globe. But COVID-19 gives, gives no one, no one license to target and to harass uh, and to attack or to assault anyone. But we're seeing that increasingly um, in our city uh, and even Queens. You know, We call ourselves the world's borough, but we are not immune to that uh, uh, either. And words like, and misnomers, I should say, misnomers like Chinese virus. Provoke exactly that, right? That it, it, it emboldens discrimination, it, uh, harassment, um, targeting of many Americans. Um, it, calling it, choosing to, and whether it's deliberate, which I believe it is, on the part of the president of the United States, uh, to call it a Chinese virus instead of a more accurate term. And when we're talking about the the necessity for precise and accurate. Um, words and communications in times of crises. Uh, the term Chinese virus inflames latent racism, <laughs> um, empowers xenophobia, Sinophobia. uh, It resurrects this yellow peril perception um, that, that endangered even Americans, um, including American citizens myself. Um, and it, it's it's unfortunate. It's more than just unfortunate. It's consequential, and it's rather short-sighted because this is a this is a shared war against a pandemic, a global pandemic, um, and we are all we are all as a humanity. We are racing against time uh, to stem the tide of COVID nineteen to flatten curves as much as possible, as aggressively as possible, and triggering. A war of words is the absolute last thing we need.
2: So you were only supposed to be in this job for a few months after your predecessor uh, moved over to become the Queen's District Attorney's Office. Obviously, your tenure is now going to be extended because the uh, special election that was supposed to be held uh, this week uh, has been postponed. What do you hope to achieve during your now longer tenure?
4: So if I may be candid, Jeff, you know, when my limited tenure was supposed to be under 100 days, (laughs) basically the Q1 of 2020, I had a short list of things I wanted to do, Um, things like implementing a a more fair paid parental leave policy um, for the Queensborough president's office uh, and hoping to trigger kind of a a larger discussion on the citywide level, Um, things like making uh, key investment, uh, especially capital investments, um, and, and various other sort of priorities that I wanted to get done in a very very short amount of time. But in light of the uh, in light of the situation uh, of, of COVID nineteen and it has, it has been rapidly evolving and developing over the last few weeks, um, those priorities uh, those priorities shift, and um, it's. Uh, Frankly, it's 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 hard to tell you like a laundry list of things I'd like to do um, over the next you know however long indeterminate amount of time that I am here serving in this capacity. Um, but my priority right now is to make sure that Queensborough the Queensborough President's Office remains open, functional, responsive, um, and in many ways, uh, in as in, in as many ways as possible, uh, getting services to areas of Queens that may not be getting it, um, that may not have already been that may have already been underserved in a regular time period. But in times of crises, those um, gaps and those disparities and that gets augmented um, uh, multiple fold, right? Um, everything gets compounded or magnified. Uh, and so my priority is to keep the borough as steady as possible as we navigate this. Um, and it will be not done alone it will not be done with just my team um, in the office but it will be in full partnership with various electives but certainly also uh, the service providers the frontline workers uh, doing everything everything possible to get the frontline workers what they need um, and also the more vulnerable populations, what they need as we as we head into um, an indeterminate amount of time of of, uh, of, of what's essentially a stay-at-home policy. Um, I will say though that I am I am optimistic. I do believe that we will get out of this. Um, it's a matter of how we handle this situation um, for the next couple of months. I think this time next year we will be in a different place. I am hoping that we are in a different place, and we will look back on this, and we will we will see how we can rise to the occasion, um, and how we can better prioritize the resources of our city and our state, um, because we will because where the deficiencies are will be magnified, um, and so that's something that we can talk about. Uh, much later this year, if not this time next year, I do see I do see us coming out of this, um, but it is certainly all hands on deck round the clock, um, making sure that we handle this crisis and we stay ahead of the curve and we do everything possible to flatten the curve
2: and As I wrap up, how can people find out more information about your office and get in contact?
4: We encourage everyone to come to uh, www.queensbp.org that's queensb as in borough and p as in president .org. You can also call 718-286-3000 or email info at queensbp.org We're also online um, on Facebook and Twitter, QueensBP 2020. Um, and I hope everyone does everything possible. And truly, uh, if you haven't already, we are urging everyone to stay at home. Stay at home. For this upcoming week, plan to stay at home as much as you can. If you are an essential worker, unless you're an essential worker, stay at home.
2: Queensborough President Sharon Lee, thank you for joining me here on WBAI today.
0: And that was acting Queensborough President Sharon Lee in conversation with my co-host, Jeff Simmons, earlier this week. We have another segment, and this is, this is a great uh, opportunity we had to talk with New York City First Lady, Shirlane McRae.
2: So thank you so much for joining us here on WBAI. Obviously, there's a lot going on, so I appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. First of all, there are myriad developments each day, and while the mayor is providing the latest updates for us, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that there is considerable fear, in some cases panic, but we don't want people to overreact. So can you talk a little about the impact this is having on the city and the message you want to send about how the city's administration is handling this?
5: Well, Jeff, you know, we, of course, people are worried about their futures. They're worried about how long this will last and what the economic impact is going to be. But I want people to know that we're going to get through this together. it may be the first time that this has happened in many people's lifetime, but, um, you know, it is, it is something that we can handle as long as we don't lose sight of, of what's important and take it day by day. I want everyone to know that the city has your back, that the health and safety of, of your family, friends, and loved ones is our most important priority. The mayor is working literally, and his team working literally night and day to make sure that, that New Yorkers uh, have the resources that they need, and we need New Yorkers to guard their mental health just as closely as they guard their physical health, and we're here to help them do that.
2: I recall having lived in New York for about 25 years now and being here around 9-11, I remember how much New Yorkers banded together after 9-11. What are some of the stories you've been hearing about New Yorkers that are, you know, doing something similarly that illustrate the efforts to support others at this
5: time? No, oh, I'm so glad you brought that up. New Yorkers have shown their resilience and kindness time and again through natural disasters like Hurricane Sandy uh, or uh, 2001 when we had the terrorist attacks. We've seen communities come together to raise money, to donate to food banks, run errands to elderly neighbors. And I'm seeing that all over again. Uh, I was just speaking to uh, actually a member of our NYPD who lives in a building where there are many seniors. And what she does is she puts notes under their door offering to you know, go get groceries or do whatever your uh, friends halfway done, whether you know, go to the pharmacy or whatever is needed. And um, she, made, she, made, <laughs> she made three runs yesterday. And I think it's that kind of thoughtfulness, that kind of kindness that will help us get through this. When people stop for a moment and think about how can I help other people who are actually having a rougher time than I am, um, that inclination to reach out will help us get through this more easily.
2: And I have to say, as someone who each day has made a point of going to a local small business in my district, which may not be as possible now moving ahead. But um, I've made a point of supporting some of our local neighborhood establishments. But it's, it's saddening that many institutions, many places in our neighborhoods, even some smaller businesses, might not ever recover from this. Is that something that goes through your mind, too?
5: Yes, it, it does go through my mind. And, and I have to go back to, again, taking it day by day, you know, do what you can. To help others around you. I think that's a great example. Support your services. Um Get takeout. Get a delivery uh, for food. Do what is uh, essential and allowable um, to help others. And that is all we have control of right now. Um, we, you know, we don't have. We can't control uh, whether there's going to be enough economic relief. We can't. We don't control the treasury. Um, All we can do is take care of ourselves and our loved ones and our neighbors and and reach out to others. See what we can do to just get through the day and then get through the next day. And this too will pass.
2: So on Friday, the governor mandated that all non-essential businesses and employees stay home, what he's calling pause, and others are still taking it upon themselves to self-isolate. And it seems like we are moving towards a shelter-in-place mandate or requirement, is it, this is going to heighten stress levels and impact our emotional state. So you know, how do you feel about this move and what measures do you recommend that people take to kind of alleviate their stress and, their, their, and to kind of preserve their mental health?
5: I think it's very important for everyone to take time to think about themselves um, every day, think about how they're doing. Some people journal which I highly recommend this is a wonderful time to keep a journal about what you're feeling uh, how you're feeling about uh, what's going on around you and many therapists now are practicing telepsychiatry with video chats or the conducting sessions by telephone. So if you feel like you're at a point where you need help like, Perhaps you, know, you feel like you want to drink more than you know you should, or perhaps you're feeling self-destructive. Or you, you, even you want to harm others, you feel like they're being you know, a little more snappy or verbally abusive, so other people that's the time to reach out and get some help. And as I said, many therapists will help you by phone or uh, via video chat. This is the age of social media. We've got all these apps and technologies. Uh, We can be in touch with whole groups of people anywhere at any time. So, connect with people online. Talk it out. And I would think that
2: many children, many kids, are scared as well. And I know your your uh, children are a bit older and they're twenties. What do you talk to them about this and the precautionary measures that they should take?
5: (laughs) Well, you know, first of all, those young people who are in their (laughs) twenties, they don't really actually want a lot of advice. from us, at least line up <laughs> But I do um, I do think it's important that, that that parents know that sometimes it is really difficult for teenagers to not have the company of their peers. But I guess we got we've got social media and that's that's um, that's really a, a a lifeline for for many of us. But the school shut down and the older New Yorkers I'm not able to socialize at seniors. And many of us are left in more intense roles as, as caregivers. So I, I always say, please remember first of all, take care of yourself. You know, Put your oxygen masks on first, take care of yourself, or you take care of your loved ones. But then keep your conversations with, with children age appropriate and fast paced. Assure them that, that you know, if they do get sick, the world is. Full of people who will help them and or sex. You know, we want everyone to stay home, wash their hands, avoid books of people, uh, practice self-distancing. If um, we can do anything to help uh, those who are older who really need, and I'm talking about those who are 60, and 70, especially those with pre-existing conditions. You know, see what we can do to help them. A phone call can really change someone's day. So as
2: far as the city services, part of Thrive NYC is NYC, well, can you talk a little about the services the city is now offering and what the response has been so far?
5: Well, you know, the commitment to mental health is administration-wide, and we are working with city agencies to make sure that that mental health needs of New Yorkers are are an especially priority at this time. So there are a number of, of Mental health services that are taking steps to help people during this unprecedented time, um, and I we always refer people to NYC Well as the hub. NYC Well is our helpline. People can text, they can call, they can um, chat. The number is one eight 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 NYC Well. It's free, it's confidential, and it's twenty four seven. And I want them to realize that they can access it in over 20, in, I'm sorry, in over two hundred languages. NYC well can be accessed in over two hundred languages. People can get support by phone, text, or online chat. Short term counseling is available. And also we to ongoing resources. So if someone needs a, a therapist, they can get connected to someone. Um, this is important that, that people feel like they are not alone. No one is alone in this time. No one has to feel isolated. There's always a place people can reach out. The number again is 1 the NYC Well.
2: And one thing I had noticed also was that NYC Well recommends that people have a crisis plan. Can you talk a little about what that is?
5: Well, it's always important to have a crisis plan, it's, it's especially important um, in, a, in a stressful time. You don't want to have to make up a crisis plan when you're in severe stress. So the idea is to be aware of of signs that something is changing in mental health, that you are not um, functioning uh, the way you usually do, uh, that you're not able to um, take the usual measures, and note when you might need support. And be ready to call for help or reach out for trust a trusted friend or relative. I think it's a good idea to have a buddy, um, someone that you talk to every day um, to help you sort of take 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 your uh, take measure, of how you're doing. Um, that way, if you need, like you just really can't reach out yourself, you have a buddy or a friend, somebody who can reach out for you.
2: And I'm glad you said that because I work with one nonprofit, Alliance for Positive Change, that has a robust peer program, and that is something else that I believe NYC Well or Thrive talks about, too, the value of peer support at this time.
5: Yes, peer support is really just one of those um, amazing services that I I think we should have much more of. We do have a number of peers working at um, NYC Well. And a number of five NYC programs as well. Peer support means that that people can get help from a trained individual who has lived experience with mental health challenges. Now that may be a substance disorder or some other type of mental health challenge, but they are they have incredible skills, um, and in some situations, that's the best person to talk to someone who absolutely understands. Uh, the experience has been through, um, has they have been there?
2: And before we close, I just want you to repeat that number once again if anyone would like to call NYC Well.
5: If everyone, if you have a pen, write it down and share this number with your friends, with, with really anyone you're in contact with, because you never know when someone might need to reach out for help. The number is 1 888 NYC Well. I'll say that again one nyc well uh, People can text, they can call, they can chat, um, but just make that call to get connected. So First Lady, if people want to follow you and get
2: more information as well as go to the website for NYC Well and Thrive NYC, where should they go?
5: People can follow me at, at NYC First Lady, at at NYC First Lady, you can also follow Slide NYC on Twitter at Mental Health NYC. That's at Mental Health NYC. And you know, Jeff, every New Yorker should be signed up for COVID text alerts in the city. That's COVID. By texting COVID or in Spanish, COVID ESP 692 692. So, again, that any New Yorker can sign up for the COVID text list by texting 692-692. And they can save them in Spanish if they text E O V I D E S T to 692-692.
2: First Lady Shirlane McRae, I want to thank you so much for joining me here on WDAI City Watch.
0: And that was New York City's First Lady Shirlane McRae talking about mental health resources for people who are right now isolated in their homes. And though we are physically isolated, we are all in this together. And there are many ways to connect with other New Yorkers or other people around the country. And the Thrive NYC programs are just one of those uh, one of those resources that we have. So we thank the First Lady shirley mccray for coming on the show uh, moments ago at a white house press briefing president donald trump announced he has authorized the activation of the national guard in new york california and washington to assist in the fight against the spread of covid nineteen here's what he had to say brought to you by our own celeste katz marston
6: today i'm announcing action to help new york california and washington ensure that the national guard guard can effectively respond to this crisis The National Guard, these are tremendous people. They're fully on alert. We've signed what we had to sign, and uh, it's been activated. We're dealing also with other states. These states have been hit the hardest. Actually, pretty much by far, you could say, the hardest. Everybody could see that. Just look at the numbers. And through FEMA, the federal government will be funding 100% of the cost of deploying National Guard units to carry out approved missions to stop the virus while those governors remain... In command. So the governors locally are going to be uh, in command and uh, we'll be uh, following them and we hope they can do the job and I think they will. I spoke with uh, all three of the governors today and just a little while ago and they're very happy with what we're going to be doing because we'll be announcing some other things for those three states and some other states uh, where it's uh, hit the hardest. This action will give them maximum flexibility to use the guard against the virus without having to worry about costs or liability and freeing up state resources to protect the health and safety of the people in their state. The federal government has deployed hundreds of tons of supplies from our national stockpile to locations with the greatest need in order to assist in those areas I approve the state of New York's request for a major disaster declaration, something which uh, Governor Cuomo has been asking for and which I agree, and we had it uh, done in very rapid fashion.
0: We had a truly packed show today. Uh, Donald Trump is the last word there, but I would like to thank my co-host Jeff Simmons, uh, our engineer Max Schmid in the studio. Definitely like to thank our guest Schools Chancellor Richard Carranza, Acting Queensborough President Sharon Lee, New York City First Lady Charlene McRae, and our own Celeste Katz-Marston Katz Marston with the news brief, and then that breaking news update, the National Guard is coming to New York. We'll be back next week with another great show. We have some excellent guests coming up, especially if you are a fan of a certain member of Congress representing parts of Queens and Brooklyn. If you missed any part of the show, visit us at WBAI.org, go to programs and then archives. The show will be up in about 10 minutes. Thanks for tuning in and have a great day.